Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. We're going through the book of Philippians, and we're in chapter 2. Now, last week, let me just review real quickly, just to remind you, we, came, we dealt with that great passage where it says how our attitude should be the same as Christ, who humbled himself, became a man, died on a cross. So Paul picks it up from there, and he follows that with, with this instruction that he's going to give to us. And it's going to begin with instruction that has been given. Instruction that's been given. Verse 12 of Hebrew, of Hebrews, Philippians chapter 2. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. In other words, I have told you what to do. Now keep doing it. I've given you instructions. I've told you how to operate. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> they're operating like kids. As long as dad and mom are around, they're really good behavior. But the moments the parents are out of sight, they're brats and can't be trusted. Right? We're good when we're around certain people. But when we're off by another crowd or off by ourselves, we just do our thing. And so just because I'm not there, he says, look, I I want you to understand something. It's even more important now. You've been told what to do. And just because I'm not present doesn't mean you can slack off because you have no excuse. In fact, you can't even say you don't know because I've instructed you. I've told you what to do. And I've given you the information that you need. And Paul just wants to make sure that they're committed to God and not just to him. And so he says, look, you've always done it while I was there with you. Now I expect you to keep living that way when no one else is around. When no one else is watching, you keep being the person that you've been instructed to be. Follow my instructions. That's kind of hard for us, isn't it? I mean, we're so horrible with instructions that when you get a bike for Christmas for your kids, you don't want to read the instructions. You just want to put it together. And then you wonder why you got a screw and three bolts left when you're done. That's us, isn't it? And so instruction's been given. You know what you're supposed to do. You should be doing that, not just when I'm there, but even when I'm not there. Then intentional steps must be taken. Intentional steps must be taken. He says, here's the deal. You're there. I I expect you to do it. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work hard. (laughs) Now, newsflash. The Christian life is work. It's not just, oh, good, God will do it all for me. It shouldn't be difficult. You know, doing what's right is hard. And so he says, you work hard, show the evidence of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, you and I are not saved by working hard. Let me give you just a a little bit of theology, okay? Just a little bit. There's this word called justification. Don't think this is in your notes, but it's, it's there. Is it in your notes? 
Okay, never mind then. Uh, justification. Justification is I'm saved from the penalty of sin, just as if I never sinned. I'm justified. That's what happens when you get saved. You, have, you are justified. It's called justification. So I'm going to assume in this crowd, most of us are justified. But there's another step then. It's called sanctification. You and I are in a, pro, a, a, a life that is progressively becoming more and more like Christ. And you know what? None of us are completely there yet, are we? It is still a work in progress, isn't it? And so I have to understand I still am working on this sanctification thing. I'd like to say, well, one day something will happen and I'll be perfect. Uh, I've lived a few years and so far my wife has told me that hasn't happened yet. So that's the work. I'm justified, that's a gift. But now I'm sanctification, that's a work in progress. And I still have to do it. However, so that's past, justification, sanctification, present, but then there's glorification. One day, you and I will be saved forever from the presence of sin. That's going to be a great day. And so we come to that place where we understand. He says, now look, you, I've given you the instructions. I want you to keep doing it. You follow the directions that I've given to you because you've come to Christ. I've held to tell you how you had to live. Now you need to work hard of that. You do this with deep reverence and fear. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but I, I need to say it because there is this thinking in Christian circles that a Christian should not fear God. That is not biblical. You and I should fear God. Oh, no, it just means respect. No, you need to respect him. Well, it just means reverence. You need to reverence him, but you need to fear him because God is the one who can send us to hell. God's the one who's an awesome God. God is the one who is holy. There needs to be a certain amount of fear, reverence, all the others along with that. So he says, you work that out with deep reverence and fear. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 2. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Now, let me just make it very simple for you. He did two commandments. You love God with all you got. Everything you do in life is because you love God. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, you love God. You do everything in life loving him. Seconds just like it. You love people the same way. So when you obey God, if someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him, that is how we know we are living in him. So Paul says to them, you work hard at this. This is not something you can just coast through on. Oh, I'm saved now. I just thank God I'm going to go to heaven and you just kind of coast through life. No, you got to work at becoming more and more like Christ every day of your life. You have to do certain things to put yourself in that place. So that's what he tells him. You work hard to show the results of what's going on in your life. We good? 
There's an internal power. That's well, pastor, you know, if, if I got to work and do all of that, you know, how, how's that going to work and how can I do that? I, I don't know, uh, you know. Well, here's the good news. God says, look, I want you to work at this. I'll give you the power that you need to do it. Not your willpower, my power. Here's what he says in verse 13. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So what Paul says is, look, God is working in you, not your power, but God's power. He's working in you to give you the desire. (laughs) Boy, you know, when you want to work for God, you should want to, not have to. If you have to do something, you don't do it well. And it's hard to do, and eventually you won't. But when you want to do something, nothing will stop you. That's what love does. I want to. He's working in you. He will give you the desire, and he will give you the power to do it. Well, I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to do this, but I just can't seem to live up to what I know I should. I can't seem to do that. Well, why don't you quit doing it, and why don't you let God help you do it? Because he's there to help you. Why don't you depend on him? It's not willpower. It's God's power. And so you work at it, but there's a power that's there that God says, look, I'm going to help you here. You know what I've taught. I want you to work at it. I want you to obey. And God will give you what you need so you can do what he wants you to do. God never asks you to do something you can't do. Now, he might ask you to do something you're afraid to do. He might ask you to do something that really stretches you. But if he asks you, you can always do it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, earlier chapter, here's what Paul has said. I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. That's called glorification. He's working in you now, sanctification. So he's still working. He's doing what needs to be done. And Paul says, look, I'm certain that God will help you. You can't say, well, you know, Paul, I know what you told me to do, and I understand it, and I know it's important, but Paul, you just don't know how hard this is. And Paul goes, yeah, I know. You got to work at it, don't you? I mean, you really got to die to yourself, don't you? You got to be the person you need to be. And so Paul says, look, there's power available to you to do and to be and to live the godly life. Well, I just can't love my spouse anymore. Well, you can't, but God can through you. Well, I just can't put up with any more of this. Yes, you can. God says there's nothing's going to come your way but what he won't help you. Well, pastor, I, I just don't, you know, no. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you 
through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. Our problem is we try to do it without God's help. Oh, God, help me to do this. See, I'm asking for help, Pastor, but then we try to do it. We don't, haven't learned how to tap in to the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to help us and work. And we try to do it under our own intellect and under our own strength, and we fail. And we make it harder than it needs to be. It's hard enough without us making it harder. We even make it more complicated than it needs to be. Well, I think if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to do this, this, and this. Hold, hold it. Why don't you just get rid of all that junk? Why don't you just love people and love God? That's pretty easy, isn't it? Easy to understand. Hard to do that, though, isn't it? Paul writes to Timothy and says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. Here he is again saying the same thing, isn't he? You know, look, we taught you better than this. You know this. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that's been entrusted to you. So we have everything we need for doing God's will. We have no excuse for not doing it. Paul writes to these people and says, look, I know there's struggles going on within you. I know there's people coming in who's going to try to give you a false truth, but you hold on to the teaching we gave to you. You obey it and live it. God will take care of it, and he will help you obey, do what's right, and he will give you the strength that you need to be able to be confident and to be able to be consistent in your life with him. And then he starts getting picky. And he gives us this indispensable attitude that's demanded. (laughs) Okay, you ready? Here it is. You see it in your notes already, don't you? Do as much as you can. Now, do everything without complaining and arguing. (laughs) When you're complaining and arguing, you're not loving people. You're being critical. You're being judgmental. You're being ungodly. When you're complaining and arguing, you're not loving God like you should. And if you're a pessimist by nature, It's something you're going to have to put to death. And so Paul says, look, here's what's happening, but let me just tell you something. Isn't it fascinating how he gives them all this truth and tells them, look, I've taught you this. I've showed you this. I want you to do this. God will help you do this. Let me give you something that you're going to have to guard against. And we're thinking of some deep theological thing he's going to tell them about, right? Now, simply, would you just get along And would you get rid of your critical attitude? And would you stop being judgmental? And would you quit voicing your opinion about everything and creating arguments and disagreements? And would you just get along? Right? I mean, 
do everything, everything, without complaining and arguing. You serve without complaining and arguing. Have you noticed how many times when Paul writes to people, you go through the books you know, that Paul wrote, there's, there's several of them, a lot of the, most of the New Testament. How many times he just has to deal with, remember we, we started this section with previously verses, you should have the same attitude? Here's part of it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Timothy, Don't waste your time arguing over your godless, petty ideas and your opinions. Don't waste your time. Instead, work at being godly. Quit being so critical. Quit looking at everybody else. Quit arguing. And why don't you just take care of you? That's my version. But that's what he's saying, right? Physical training is good. But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So he's pretty straightforward with them. He's pretty clear. He's pretty brutal. He just says, look, stop. And everything you do, be this way. You want to work at this? You got to do it, but you're going to have to get your eyes off people. Keep your eyes on God. Do what God wants you to do. Draw from his resources, his presence within you, the spirit's power within you. It will help you do what you want to do. But if all you're going to do is beat up on people and be critical of everything and argue about stuff, you're never going to get down to the business of you being the person God wants you to be. Because you're just going to keep making excuses. Well, they're doing this and they're doing this and they're doing that. And isn't it amazing how good we are seeing everybody else's faults and don't see our own? We do have one. Okay. All right. Uh, What if you're a person who helps other people, even to the extent of hurting yourself, but you cuss and belittle others and you come to church, but then change back to cussing as soon as you walk out the door, (laughs) but you pray for forgiveness. When you pray, are you truly a Christian? I think you can truly be a Christian. What you need to do is learn how to keep your mouth shut because of all that's coming out of it is negative cussing, criticism, just be quiet. It's a habit you get into. There's a lot of habits we get into that affect our walk with God, aren't there? I can go down a whole list of them. Cussing would be in there. Those habits we need to learn to break. Well, but I can't break it. You can't, but with God's help, you can Put the right thoughts in your mind and the right words will come out of your mouth. And so you need to learn how to control your language, control your tongue. And it's just an issue of being aware of it. At least you are. Does God hear it? Yes. Do I think you're sincere in it? Sure. 
All of us pray prayers that we're sincere and God, help me never do that again. And we do it, don't we? All of us do it. But it's something that then we have to work at. That's why Paul says you work at being godly and being obedient. Quit trying to help everybody else deal with you. Second question from another person. Do you suppose this prolongs uh, the Lord or puts off the Lord answering prayers because this is really disobedience? In other words, is this a cause and effect kind of a thing? You know, if God could only answer prayers of perfect people, no prayers would ever be answered. I think what it does at times, if we're not careful, it causes us to pray for the wrong things. Because what comes out of our mouth, the Bible says, says what's in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if that's coming out of my mouth, my heart isn't where it ne- is not where it needs to be with God. And therefore, when I talk to God, I'm not going to talk about the things I should be talking about and asking for things that he would be pleased with. That's it for now. That answer that? Yep. I'm good with that? Okay. Innocent lives are to be lived. Innocent lives are to be lived. Verse 15. So that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. (laughs) Okay, wow. You know, see, when you're complaining, when you're arguing, you're no longer innocent, are you? And God says, I want you to live an innocent, Paul writes, he says, I want you to live an innocent life. I want your life to be so right with God that you stand out in the generation that you live in, and this world is full of crooked and perverse people. And you should be different. We should stick out like a sore thumb. Everybody else we hang out with is cussing like crazy. We don't. We stand out. And so he says, look, you're to live a great life. Romans 16, 19. Everyone knows that you're obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. And I want you to be wise in doing right and stay innocent of any wrong. Well, I can go and handle that. Stay innocent. Don't go out to handle it. Well, I'll be okay. No. Corinthians, he writes, you know, brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of all these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. So in other words, you and I aren't trying to be in the world and, you know, well, I I know what's going on in the world. I live in it every day. And so, yeah, you can't get away from that. But at the same time, we don't need to partake in what the world partakes in. We should try to live innocent lives. I don't need to go where they go. I don't need to do what they do. I need to let my life be different. So that's something you and I have to work out. And, he's at, and he says, look, I want you to live this life. I want your life to be so well ordered by God. You're working so well at doing what's right. 
You're not arguing. You're not complaining. You're not, you're not criticizing. You're, you're doing what God wants you to do, that your life is a light in the darkness that you live in. It's different. It shines. It's not corrupt. It's holy. Got to move on. Intensity is necessary. Intensity is necessary. Verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the instructions I gave you. Hold firmly to God's word. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Don't let go of what you know. Hold on to the truth of what God has given to you. He starts it with, look, I want you to behave this way even in my, when I'm absent. I want you to still be the people that I've taught you to be. And now he says, you hold on to that. You don't let it go. Hebrews 4.14 So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. You see, the enemy will do everything he can to cause you to doubt what you believe. And you have to stand firm in what you've been taught. Well, how do I know what I've been taught is right? Does it line up with God's Word? And if it does... Stay with it. Stay true to it. Don't always be questioning it. And many times we're not the people we need to be because we're not sold out on what we believe. And we need to be sold out on what you believe. You need to be convinced of it. You need to hold on to it. You need to not waver in a world where there's all kinds of junk being thrown at you. And hold on to the basics. Don't get caught up in all the fluff. Basics, salvation through Christ. Basics, the power of God's available to me to live and be obedient to God's word and to do what's right. The basics... One day God's coming back and he's going to judge people and heaven and hell are real. I'm holding on to that. Okay, last one. Incredible joy is available. Now, he goes through all of that. He says, don't quit. Don't give up. You know, don't, don't stop on me. And then he, he ends with this. After giving them all this instruction, tell them what to do, he says, look, before you get to, oh, man, this is hard, Paul. This is difficult. I don't know how I can do this. But Paul, you want this and this. Boy, that life gets really difficult. He says this, I will rejoice even if I lose my life. <laughs> Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes. You should rejoice and I will share your joy. It is, how do you know you're doing it the right way? There should be joy in obedience. There should be joy in doing what's right. Serving God is a joy. It's not a drudgery. 
And if all you do is serve God and you're, oh, man, it's so hard, so difficult. I don't think I can go one step farther. Oh, God, oh, help me be faithful. Come on, folks. The greatest life you can possibly live is obeying God. The greatest joy you can have is in serving God. Joy helps you be obedient. Okay, you'll work on this, right, later? Romans 12, never be lazy. <laughs> There's a whole other word there, isn't there? But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Yay, God. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. A couple chapters later in Romans 14, the kingdom of God's not a matter of what we eat or drink and all your little rituals and all your little rules you want to create, but it's living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yes, Christians should be the happiest people on the planet all the time. You know, <laughs> some of you could just start by just doing this, you know, just a little... You know, something to work on there, isn't there? Second Corinthians 13. Brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Notice what he says. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Become like Christ. Sanctification. Work at that. Encourage each other. Don't be critical. Don't argue. Live in harmony and peace, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Wow. There's joy in this, folks. And we, because of our stubbornness, because of our disobedience, because of our laziness, we don't experience the joy that God wants us to have in serving Him. Serving God is a privilege and it's the most joyful thing in the world you can do. And in fact, the Bible says that you and I, and Paul writes it a little later, be joyful always. The joy of the Lord is my strength. There is joy in serving God. And he writes to these people and says, here's what you do. Here's how to do it. God's given you everything you can. You are more than a conqueror. You can do what he wants you to do. And when you do that, you will have great joy and peace and the love of God will rule your life. And life is worth living. So tonight, maybe as you go back through this later or some other time, just look at where is it that you need to address so that you can have this joy all the time. Yes, it's a lot of work. Yes, we live in a corrupt time. Yes, this world is horrible, but we're shining lights in the midst of it, and we have reason to rejoice because our God is in control, and I'm growing every day more and like Him, sanctification, and one day I'm going to be in a place where sin is gone, and I will be there with all of God's people and the great thing about heaven, it's a mystery still to me, everybody will get along. 
Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a little heaven on earth? You can, you know. Let's pray. Lord, thank you tonight for the life that you've called us to live. It's not a life of drudgery. It's not a life where we have to. But Lord, as our love for you grows, our desire to love you grows, our lives are then changed. We get to live with and love other people and God's joy rules our life. So Lord, as we go from this place tonight, would you help us to work hard at obeying you and doing that with great joy. Thank you for the joy we have. In thy name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. God bless you as you go. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.